Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Well, our text today takes place on the same day as the text from last week. And so if you were not here, I do want to remind you a little bit of the setting just so you can get uh, where we're at. Jesus is in a synagogue on the Sabbath day. You remember he had uh, regularly taught in the synagogues. And on this particular occasion, there was a woman there uh, who had some sort of physical disability. She could not stand up straight. Uh, And Jesus healed her uh, of that affliction. The Pharisees, of course, criticized Jesus right away for doing this on the Sabbath day. Uh, and they had a, a, uh, a little interaction there. Jesus responds to that objection, pointing out that the Jews were fine with leading their ox to water on the Sabbath, uh, but they were not okay with this woman being loosed from her affliction. And the religious guys, at the end of that, had nothing to say. They were ashamed. Everyone was rejoicing in what Jesus did. And so now verse 18 happens immediately after this. And it's sort of an abrupt uh, shift where he just starts talking about the kingdom of God. Uh, So let's pick this up. Verse 18, it says, He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? So note here, what he's about to talk about is the kingdom. Okay, the kingdom of God is the theme of this text. And he's going to give two illustrations, two comparisons of of God's kingdom uh, to show us what it's like. But before we look at those, we need to first talk about what the kingdom of God is, because Uh, This phrase shows up dozens of times in the Gospels. It's really the main theme of Jesus' ministry, is the kingdom of God. And so it's important that we understand this properly. A lot of Christians um, wrongly think about the kingdom of God as heaven, as if that's all there is to it. It's just, it's the future, it's after death, that's the kingdom of God. But that's really not the way the New Testament talks about the kingdom, as though it was just some uh, future reality. Rather, the kingdom of God arrived when Jesus came to earth and when he died and rose again. That was the start. That was the inauguration of God's kingdom on earth. We see at the very start of Jesus' preaching ministry, he proclaims the arrival of the kingdom of God. Mark 1 verse 14. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming or preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time was fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So he says the kingdom is at hand. It's near. He came announcing that the kingdom was about to come. And the message of the kingdom being near was the theme of Jesus' ministry from the very beginning until the end. This verse here in Mark, uh, these are the very first words of Jesus recorded in the gospel of Mark. And as we'll see, the same message is preached by Christ all the way through his ministry, even after his resurrection. And it's the same message in all four of the Gospels. We've looked at Mark. Here's Matthew. Uh, Matthew 9. This is a summary of Jesus' ministry. It says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. The proclamation of the kingdom's arrival was the central theme of Jesus' preaching. In fact, Jesus said in Luke 4, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So he's saying, uh, one of the reasons I came to earth, one of the reasons that God became a human and came to earth was to declare the arrival of God's kingdom. And so we'd better understand 
uh, the kingdom of God rightly because it's really synonymous with the Christian faith. This gets to the very heart, the core of Christianity. And if you don't understand the kingdom of God, you're not going to understand much of the New Testament. And so the first thing to understand about the kingdom is it's not merely a future reality, as though this is something that, you know, we're going to go to the kingdom when we die. Rather, the kingdom is, is here now. The kingdom started when Jesus came, when he died on the cross, when he rose again. That moment in history is the beginning of God's kingdom. Jesus said this in Matthew 12, if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Okay, he says, the fact that I have this power to cast out demons is evidence of the fact that God's kingdom is here. He doesn't say this is in the future 2,000, 3,000 years from now. No, it's here now, uh, when Jesus was on earth. And so he says that the kingdom is there, that it's come upon you. This is the fundamental misunderstanding that many of us have about God's kingdom. In Luke 17, the Pharisees asked Jesus when the kingdom would come. When would God's kingdom arrive? And he clarifies uh, so much in this answer. Listen to this. Luke 17, starting verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So God's kingdom is not about an earthly, uh, visible kingdom with you know, geographical boundaries, the way that we think of it. It's a spiritual kingdom. And he says it's in the, midst of, in the midst of you right now. Meaning, the kingdom of God is God ruling over the hearts of men. And so when we think about the kingdom of God, we don't want to think about a region, but rather a reign. It's not a place that you can go. The kingdom is rather the reign of Jesus in the hearts and lives of his people. Luke 18, verse 29, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. So there you see Jesus saying that being a part of God's kingdom is not just about the future. It's about how you live here and now. It's living for Christ instead of for your own comforts and pleasures. And those who choose to submit to the lordship of Jesus, he says, will experience great joy in this life and in the age to come, eternal life. So yes, life after death is a part of it. That's part of what it means to be in God's kingdom, but that's certainly not all of it. Now, those who are in God's kingdom will be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven, but the kingdom of God has to do with how you live your life now too, not just then. And as followers of Christ, we are to seek God's priorities and the spreading of his kingdom on earth. Uh, Matthew 6.33, right? Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. He's saying there, uh, this is the, the way that we are to live. Seeking the kingdom of God, seeking his priorities, uh, the spreading of God's kingdom on earth uh, above even our own wants and desires. We're also to pray for this, right? Uh, Jesus says in Luke 11, a passage we've seen already, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. We are to pray that God's kingdom would come. Now you said, well, wait a minute, I thought it already came. Well, yes, it did. It certainly did. Uh, when Jesus came, he said the kingdom of God is here now. And yet we're to pray and we're to seek the furtherance of God's kingdom. In other words, we're to pray that God's kingdom would spread that God's kingdom, uh, his influence, his ruling over the hearts of men would become more and more of the reality in our world. 
another way to explain that is Matthew 6, verse 10, when he says the parallel passage, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the kingdom of God is God ruling over the lives of his people, his will being done on earth. That's when we see the kingdom of God. And all who submit to Christ, all who do his will in their lives are subjects to the king. The goal then as a Christian is to live this out in our lives, living in submission to the teachings of Christ and then spreading the kingdom further. We're to invite others to turn from their sins, to repent and to join the kingdom of God, which simply means to submit to Jesus as your king, uh, to live your life in obedience to the king. Now, this understanding of the spiritual kingdom of God is not what the disciples of Jesus expected. Uh, They thought that the kingdom would come all at once. They thought that the kingdom uh, was in earthly terms, that the king would uh, set up his kingdom in Jerusalem, reign over Israel forever. This is what they were looking forward to, a military figure uh, that would start a revolution against the Roman Empire, overthrow them, uh, and start an earthly kingdom. That's what they were expecting. But Jesus said in John 18, verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. So the disciples, they were expecting a fight. Uh, They were expecting Jesus to start this revolution against Rome and set up a kingdom. You remember when they came to arrest Jesus, uh, right? Peter takes out a sword and takes a swing at somebody, cuts off his ear, uh, because that's what he thought was about to happen. Uh, They were expecting that, okay, we're, we're headed to Jerusalem, we're going to start overthrowing people, overthrowing governments, and establishing this new kingdom. Uh, but this is not at all what Jesus meant. This is why Jesus tells Peter, you know, put your sword away. Uh, we're not here to fight. That's not how God's kingdom is established. It's not an earthly kingdom with physical boundaries. We don't spread the kingdom by fighting and conquering nations, but instead by preaching the gospel and inviting others in. Luke 19 describes the the attitudes of the disciples. This is when Jesus is uh, headed toward Jerusalem. And again, they're looking forward to this military revolt uh, that they think is about to happen. Verse 11, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they, the disciples, supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. They were expecting the kingdom to come in like the, you know, the 82nd Airborne Division. Just boom, there it is. Uh, let's start conquering nations, overthrowing the government, and establishing this new kingdom with Jesus as the king. But that is not at all what Jesus meant by the kingdom of God. Jesus' kingdom did not start by a revolt against the government, but rather by the king dying on a cross for the sins of his people and then rising triumphantly from the dead. That's the start of the kingdom, and it grows from there. One person at a time, one church at a time, with people hearing the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection and then committing themselves to the service of King Jesus. That's the way that God's kingdom spreads. After Jesus rose from the dead, uh, he spent 40 days with the disciples, teaching them uh, before he ascended back to heaven. Verse 3 of Acts 1 says of Jesus that he presented himself alive to them, to the uh, disciples, after his suffering, after the cross, by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, and speaking about the kingdom of God. And so you start to see here how central this is to the ministry of Jesus. From the very beginning of his ministry, even after his resurrection, this is all he's talking about, is the kingdom of God being established. We've seen it in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and now here it is in Acts again showing up. Jesus is still talking about the kingdom of God. And the disciples still don't get it. Uh, verse 6, when they, came to, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? 
They're still thinking in terms of a military revolt in a physical earthly kingdom. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus says, don't worry about Israel being restored as a government. You go spread the gospel of my death and resurrection to the world. And so preaching the gospel, telling people to repent of their sins and trust in Christ, telling them to commit their lives to his service, that is how you spread the kingdom of God. And of course, that's eventually what the disciples did when they finally caught on to this. Acts chapter 8, we see Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ. He's preaching to them about Jesus, his death and resurrection. Verse 12, when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. And so what we do as Christians and as a church is a part of the spreading of the kingdom of God. Every person that comes through these doors and hears the gospel is being introduced to the kingdom of Christ. Every person who's baptized is being baptized into the kingdom of God. And every church across the world that is faithfully doing kingdom work is a part of spreading the reign of King Jesus. Now that's all introduction. Let's get to the sermon in our text. Verse 18. I'm hoping with all of that background understanding of the kingdom, uh, it'll open up what Jesus is saying here. Verse 18, he says, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. So the kingdom of God is compared to a mustard seed. Jesus, of course, is the sower, uh, the farmer, we might say. He's the one who brings the kingdom to earth. The seed is the kingdom as it starts, and the tree is the fully established kingdom in its final state, right? The mustard seed becomes the mustard plant. And so if the seed is the kingdom, then the plant is also the kingdom. And so this little seed becomes a tree, and that's supposed to be like the kingdom of God. So let's try to unpack this. A mustard seed was the smallest seed that the Jews would have been familiar with. A very tiny little seed. You remember Jesus says in another place, if you have faith like a mustard seed, right? Uh, It's a very famous quote of Jesus. Basically saying even just a little bit of faith. That's how small the seed was. It it was known as uh, the smallest seed that that they used. And so this tiny seed became a fully grown mustard plant. It, would, it could become as large as 15 feet high and 8 feet wide, which is really more like a tree than a, a plant or a shrub. I mean, this is huge. Uh, the largest of the garden plants that they had. And so he says the kingdom is like this little tiny seed that grows and becomes a huge tree. The kingdom starts small. It started with one man named Jesus. And then just like the seed is thrown into the ground and it dies... So Jesus came and died and was buried in the earth. And it would seem at that point like the kingdom was over, over before it even began. But just like that seed breaks through the ground and rises up again, so Christ comes back to life. And the kingdom really gets going at that point. But it was still small. I mean, think about this. After the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, there were 120 followers of Christ in Acts 1 and 2. You'll see that. Uh, The entire Christian religion right there in, in one place. 120, pretty small for a kingdom, but it grew over time. Uh, And now, 2,000 years later, Christianity is the largest religion on the planet. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of people that claim that label of Christian and and don't even know what it means to follow Christ, but it's certainly true that there are millions of true followers of Christ all over the world. That's an incredible thing. 
uh, to think from a little country the size of New Jersey in the Middle East, uh, this small group of people started this religion, at least it would seem that way, and all of a sudden it's flowered and blossomed all over the planet. And here we are on the other side of the world uh, proclaiming the same truths that they taught 2,000 years ago. The kingdom grows like a mustard seed. It started small with one little seed, and gradually over time it has grown, and it will continue to grow until it overspreads the earth. The comment there about the birds nesting in the branches of the tree is a reference to the book of Ezekiel and Daniel and a few other prophets where they symbolize the nations of the world being a part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God will gradually overtake and overspread the world until Jesus rules over all of it. This is one of the things that Christians get wrong, I think, about the end times. As if we're just going to become less and less and less Christians and we'll be huddled in a little room and all this persecution from the outside. Uh, That is not the picture in the New Testament or in the Old Testament for that matter. Rather, the picture is Jesus comes, he starts the kingdom. And our job ever since his his, uh, ascension is to advance that kingdom throughout the whole world. And we will do it. Okay, this is not a a thing like, well, you should do this. No, you will. Acts 20, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 24, verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. That's a very different view of the end times than many Christians have. Uh, the, The triumph of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, is a central theme in Jesus' ministry. A lot of us think, again, there's going to be less and less Christians. We're going to be going through all this tribulation and the gospel light will be almost snuffed out. And then at last, Jesus will come and save the day. But that is not what the scriptures teach. The Bible gives a much more optimistic, triumphant view of the progression of the kingdom in history. The Great Commission will be successfully accomplished. The gospel of the kingdom, of God's kingdom on earth, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world to all nations before the end comes. Even the text I read a minute ago from Acts 1, Jesus didn't say you should go be witnesses to the whole earth. He says you will. You will be witnesses of this to uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth, the ends of the earth. This is a prophecy that he's giving. He says you will be a witness carrying this message of the kingdom to every part of the world. Uh, Habakkuk 2 prophesied that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. This is the Christian hope for the future. It's not doom and gloom. It's the triumph of God's kingdom over time. And before the second coming of Jesus, the gospel will be preached throughout the world. The nations of the world will become Christian nations. Revelation 11 verse 15. The seventh angel blew his trumpet. There were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. There is coming a day when the power of Satan will be finally ended and Christ will reign over the whole world. And it doesn't happen all at once. It happens gradually over time, like a mustard plant grows. It starts small and it grows eventually to overspread the world. And so as Christians, we can be confident. We're not wasting our time uh, trying to reach a world that's never going to listen. Like like we don't have to feel like we don't have to feel as though Christianity is dying out in the world. That is not true. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world to all nations, and the earth will be as full of the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. That is our confidence because that's the promise of God about the success, the triumph of his kingdom on earth. 
If your view of the end times is that there's a handful of Christians, you know, huddled together and we're way outnumbered by the unsaved people, and then Jesus comes in, wipes them all out, okay, which is, this is the view that is predominant in many churches. Just consider John 3, 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The father did not send Christ to the world to condemn the world. But that view of pessimism about the future, that Jesus is going to come and destroy, you know, most people on earth, that's the exact opposite of what John 3.17 says. He says he did not come to condemn the world, but rather that the world, the entire earth, would be saved through him. That is describing the spreading of the good news of God's kingdom to all nations. Jesus is saving the world. It's not to say that every single person on earth is going to be saved. Of course, we know that's not true. Uh, But God's kingdom will continue to spread and will be preached through all the nations before the arrival of Christ. Psalm 2, verse 6. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. This is God the Father speaking of Christ. I will tell of the decree. Yahweh said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. God says, I'm going to accomplish this. I will make all the nations, the ends of the earth, they will be yours. They will bow the knee to Christ. And it happens, not all at once, but by one person at a time, submitting to the lordship of Jesus. Like a mustard tree, it starts small, it grows gradually, and eventually it overspreads the earth. The kingdom of God will outgrow any kingdom man has ever had. When you hear in history about people that have conquered Uh, large portions of the earth, you know, think of Alexander the Great or somebody like that, Uh, that will pale in comparison to the kingdom of God. His triumph is better than any kingdom of man. And eventually all nations will be in submission to Christ. And he will then return triumphantly. He'll take his place on the throne in Jerusalem. And there will be a visible kingdom at that point. He'll come and sit in Jerusalem and rule over the nations of the world. But the establishment of that kingdom started when Jesus came, when he died, and when he rose again. And the spreading of the kingdom has been happening ever since. Now, an important clarification here. The fact that the kingdom is growing and that it will successfully overtake the earth and and all the nations will hear the gospel, that does not mean that you should expect things to be better this year than last year or this decade than last decade. Okay, that would be sort of like um, a kindergarten kid. You know, when you have those uh, bean plants, you got to take home and, and watch them grow. I don't know if you, you all ever do that in school, right? Okay. Uh, how foolish would it be of the kid to go check every five minutes and see if it's grown? Okay, well, you're not going to see any growth like that. And yet that's how a lot of us think about these things, right? We think, well, you know, America 50 years ago seemed better than today, and so the kingdom doesn't seem to be successful. Well, that is such a narrow uh, view of history. I mean, think of the last 2,000 years. Uh, the church has gone to places in the earth, it was never even close to 500 years ago, okay? And the church was larger 500 years ago than it was 1,000 years ago, and 1,000 years ago than it was, you know, 1,500 years. So if you, if you take broad chunks, uh, Christianity is dominating the earth. It is spreading slowly, one person at a time, throughout the nations. And so the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts off small. It grows gradually over time. It's not a, uh, an all-at-once thing, and yet... Jesus will successfully, triumphantly uh, win the nations to himself. He is saving the earth by the gospel of the kingdom. 
So that's the first illustration. The kingdom is like a mustard seed. Next illustration, verse 20. Again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven or yeast that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Now, the mustard seed clearly pictures the growth of the kingdom on earth. I think that's pretty evident. The leaven could be understood a few different ways. It could be saying basically the same concept, right? That something starts small and uh, grows over time. But I think here Jesus is focusing on the internal working of the kingdom. In other words, the mustard plant uh, growing over time describes how the kingdom externally grows in size and influence over the earth over time. The leaven in the flour would describe how the kingdom impacts the life of each individual that is a part of God's kingdom. It's like a woman who takes, uh, this is about 50 pounds of flour, this is a lot of flour, and puts a little bit of yeast in it, and she mixes it up until the whole thing is leavened. The point is simple. The leaven permeates through the entirety of the flour, and the impact of that little bit of yeast changes the whole thing. And likewise, as a citizen of God's kingdom, that reality will permeate your life. When someone first becomes a Christian, it's not uncommon for really the only thing to change you know, in their day-to-day living is now they go to church on Sunday. Uh, that's a lot of times what people think of Christianity. And if that's you, understand uh, that is just the beginning. A follower of Jesus should grow spiritually and begin to see all of his life as worship. Uh, Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I hope you see in those verses how all-encompassing this view of service to God is. We present our bodies to him, we lay our lives down on the altar, and we give ourselves to do his will. And so one way to track your spiritual growth is you begin to see Christianity affecting more and more areas of your life. You know, maybe it starts off as, okay, I go to church on Sunday. And then it starts to move into, well, now I have a hunger for God's word and I'm, I'm reading scripture. And then it starts affecting, you know, your finances and the way that you think about money. And, and your whole life begins to be shaped and viewed through the lens of God's kingdom. You start sharing your faith with others. Uh, Everything that we do should in some way connect to the larger goal of seeing the kingdom of God expand and grow. And so both parables here are demonstrating how the kingdom of God, both externally and internally, expands exponentially from its very small beginnings. The kingdom does not come all at once. It starts small with Jesus and 12 apostles And then Jesus dies, and the kingdom seems to have come to an end. I mean, the king has died. It seems like it's over. But like the leaven in the flour or the seed buried under the soil, Jesus is dead for three days, and then he comes back to life. But the kingdom doesn't come all at once then either. When you plant a seed, it doesn't sprout the next day and become a full-sized tree. It grows little by little, and over time, it becomes larger. And so this concept of small beginnings, gradual growth over time, eventually overtaking uh, entirely, this applies to the kingdom in the world and the kingdom in each person. God's work in you may seem small and insignificant, but over time, he will continue to shape your life. And the results of the kingdom of God will become more and more visible and obvious as that reality permeates through all of your life. Uh, As Christians, 
You know, we, our growth sometimes is frustrating to us, right? We still sin. We still struggle with some of the same things we did before we we're Christian. And yet the promise of God, you know, think of Romans 8.29, that he is conforming you to the image of Christ. Uh, little by little throughout your life, he's making you more like Jesus. So those are the two parables. The building of the kingdom of God happens one person at a time, one day at a time. On Wednesday, I was out here uh, mowing the lawn, doing some work out here, and I happened to notice a robin. Uh, it must be building a nest somewhere around here, because I would see it every few minutes, flying over with a little piece of grass in its mouth, or a little you know, piece of straw or something. You ever seen, you ever watched a bird do that? Uh, and you think, that seems so insignificant. I mean, what is one blade of grass doing? And yet you watch it for a few hours and a few days, and over time, eventually he's got this nest that must be made up of hundreds of, of single blades of grass. And he got them one at a time and slowly uh, built that nest. In the same way, the kingdom of God is built on earth one person at a time. It may seem like not much is being accomplished. It may seem like uh, my part in God's kingdom is insignificant. But you going to work tomorrow, you being a good Christian, is doing more than you may think. You loving your family and, and caring for people in need is doing more than you may realize. You sharing Christ with someone is accomplishing more than you think. It may seem like that little mustard seed was thrown out and had no effect whatsoever. And often the first day that the seed lands in the soil, it doesn't have an effect. But over time, behind the scenes, and in ways that we can't see and understand, God's kingdom is at work. And our part in the advancement of God's kingdom, no matter how insignificant or small it may seem, has an outsized impact that we may never fully know. Let me show you a, a parallel account in Mark's gospel of this parable of the kingdom. Mark 4, verse 26, he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. He said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. God's kingdom grows in small ways. I love verse 27. The farmer sleeps day after day. He puts the seed out there and then he goes to sleep. And he doesn't know how it's growing. And yet God is doing that work. And in the same way, we do our part. We follow Christ, we serve him, and we trust that God is advancing his kingdom through our lives of devotion to him. Two quick illustrations here before we close. The first is a friend of mine from college, uh, a roommate of mine for a few years, named Joseph Anad Bethina. Uh, Indian guy. He grew up in southern India all his life. And he was at Bible college training to be a pastor. His dad was a pastor. His grandfather was a pastor. His great-grandfather was a pastor. Uh, so you've got here four generations of pastors in this one family in India. And they have spent their lives spreading the gospel uh, all over that region of India. Now, how did this happen? Uh, it started with a man named William Carey. William Carey lived in England in the 1700s. And he left his country to go to India and preach the gospel there, where Jesus really wasn't even heard of throughout most of that country at the time. Carey was a missionary there for seven years before he had a single convert to Christ. Imagine how discouraging that would be. Uh, but Carey was 
Interestingly, a believer in postmillennialism. He believed that God was building his kingdom on earth, that the nations would be reached. And so he kept laboring. He kept spreading the gospel. He translated the Bible into something like 40 different dialects and languages uh, spoken in that region in India. And most of the fruit of William Carey's ministry, he never saw. But without a doubt, he is one of the most successful missionaries ever in the history of the church. And the fruit of his work is still being seen in people like my friend Joseph. Um, I remember sitting, <laughs> sitting with Joseph... Um, I apologize, as he would uh, cry and talk about William Carey. Because he understood that without William Carey, he would have never known Christ. Joseph is still reading today from the Bible that William Carey translated hundreds of years ago. And there are literally hundreds of churches all over India that trace their history back to this one man. Now, we think... How could one person have such an impact as that? How could one guy have an impact hundreds of years later? And yet that's the way that God's kingdom grows. It's like a mustard seed. It starts small. It grows slowly, at times imperceptibly. I mean, think of those first seven years, not a single convert. It'd be easy to quit. It'd be easy to think, I'm accomplishing nothing here. But even when it seems like nothing is being accomplished, God is building his kingdom. A second illustration, uh, maybe this one would be more practical and encouraging for most of us, because most of us, I mean, let's be honest, we're not going to go be missionaries. We're not going to translate a Bible into another language. Most of us might think, well, that's great for William Carey, but how, how can we possibly have an impact on God's kingdom? I want to tell you about a married couple who lived... in the middle of uh, corn country in Illinois... And I mean the middle of nowhere, Jerseyville, Illinois. There's probably more cows there than people. Uh, Ralph and Betty, they were faithful Christians, some of the most sincere people that I've ever known. They lived in obscurity. Nobody, nobody knew who they were. Uh, Ralph wasn't a pastor. He worked a secular job all his life. And they attended a tiny little church I've been to many times, about the size of ours. Nobody would know who they were. I mean, they're, both of them passed away a few years back, and... Um, you know, at their funeral, there's probably 50 people. Uh, nobody knew them. They're, they were just an obscure couple living in Illinois. But they loved each other, and they loved, and they loved Jesus. They were faithful to church. They were uh, the real deal. They, were, they lived out their Christianity. It was evident to anybody who knew them that they were Christians. And uh, before I embarrass myself too much, let me just skip ahead. My, my dad is a Christian today because of those two. He was not raised in a Christian home. Uh, he would be the first to tell you that he was totally engrossed in the world as a teenager and into college. But he saw growing up the testimony of these, this couple, his, his uncle and aunt, Ralph and Betty. And he saw that they, they lived out their faith in Christ. And that's what God used to bring my dad to faith in Jesus. He saw their, their life, saw their love for Christ, their love for each other. And one day he asked my uncle how he could have that life, and Ralph explained to him the gospel of Christ, and he was never the same. I today am a Christian. I was raised in a Christian home, not because of Billy Graham, not because of some famous pastor, but because of a husband and wife 
out in the middle of the cornfields who loved one another and who lived out their Christianity. And that's the way that God's kingdom works. It's like a mustard seed. It starts out so small, so insignificant. And you think, what, what, are they, what are they accomplishing? They're living in the middle of nowhere. Hardly anybody knows who they are. And yet, uh, you know, I have siblings. Two of them are still young. Two, three of us are adults. All of us serving God. My brother's a pastor in West Virginia. Uh, how did that all happen? Well, it started with a family, a little family that nobody knew about, that just loved the Lord and that were a testimony to Christ. The kingdom of God grows in ways that seem so insignificant, and yet it has an outsized impact. If you're a part of God's kingdom, if you're a servant of King Jesus, he can use you. It doesn't matter how insignificant you may think your role in his work is. A God can take something so small and use it to have a huge impact on the world. The kingdom of God is characterized by small beginnings, gradual growth, and an outsized impact. 1 Corinthians one twenty five, Paul says, The foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God delights in using small means to accomplish his great goals, because then he gets the glory. And if you think that you're insignificant, if you think God can't really use you, you are exactly the kind of person he loves to use the most. God used David, even though he was the youngest of his brothers in the Old Testament. God used Peter in the New Testament. He was an uneducated fisherman. Uh, how could God use such a person? God used Lazarus, and he was dead. I mean, if you think something would un unqualify someone from being used of God, and yet he used him. God loves to use the most unlikely of people to accomplish his work in the world. So don't despise the day of small beginnings. Don't look at that little mustard seed and think nothing's being accomplished because that's the way that God's kingdom is conquering the nations of the world. One person at a time, one church at a time, living out their Christian faith, spreading the gospel. This is how God's kingdom is built. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this hope, uh, for this promise that we have that you are working in our world. You're not giving up on us. You are building your kingdom. You are conquering the world until one day every knee will bow to Christ and everyone will acknowledge the lordship of Jesus. God, we await that day. We look forward to that day when you make all things right. Uh, when, when the wars are done, when all of the problems in our world are over because we're living in submission to Christ. I pray, God, that you would help each of us as Christians to be an active part of the spreading of this kingdom, this great news that you died, that Jesus died on the cross. He, he rose again to forgive our sins, to give us eternal life. Help us not to keep this message to ourselves. Help us to spread this everywhere we go, to everyone that we, that we come in contact with, that we have influence over. Help us to be a testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And help us not to despise our role in your kingdom, not to think that we're in the middle of nowhere. We're not, you know, we're not a in a position where we can have a great impact. That is so not true. So many people that you've used over church history and in scripture that were insignificant people 
that never saw that, that never had a platform. They weren't necessarily pastors or missionaries. They were just normal people, ordinary Christians, living out their faith, spreading the gospel. I pray that you would help each of us to be a part of this, to pray and to live towards the advancement of your kingdom on earth. Pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.